check it. <laughs> you didn't play away. You're good. Alright. I don't have anything shooting tomorrow. <laughs> cool. Um, Alright, well, uh, last chance. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm All good. Right, let's do this. Cool. Well, uh, hello everybody. Welcome to episode 44 of Side Kickback Radio. And uh, I'm here with uh, Rich, is it Delia? Delia. Delia. Yes. Okay. Yes. I could say I could totally go back again <laughs> if I want to. No. No, you, no one ever pronounces it correctly, so you're right on track. Right. You didn't li- did you listen to Vic Levin's uh, no, episode? No, I, I haven't. I haven't. Um, yeah, we had a funny thing where he told me the right name and I said it completely wrong. And he was like, no, Vic, that, and it was like, it was like a comedy bit. <laughs> yeah. And this morning at Starbucks, I, uh, they said, what's your name? And I said, Rich, and my coffee came back with Chris on it. So I, I, I'll take it. I Are you care. sure it was your coffee? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool. So, uh, Rich, where yeah. are you from originally? I am from uh, Long Island, Long Island, New York. I was born and raised there, and um, then I went to, after college, I moved to Manhattan, and I was in Manhattan for about six years before I came out to L.A. Well, whoa, you're jumping so far ahead. <laughs> Where in Long Island? Because my parents are from oh, Long nice. Island. Oh, yeah. nice. Uh, Dix Hills. Dix Hills? Dix Hills, Deer Park, right there. Okay. Uh, don't know those. I only know, like, Plainview, Syosset, yeah. and Belmore. Yes, Plainview is very close to me. Yeah. Belmore, my uncle, lives there. Long Island's, you know, once you're on Long Island, you kind of you kind of know everywhere yeah. a bit. And yeah. uh, do you go back? Often? I do. Yeah, my family's still there. My my niece and my nephew and my whole family. So I go back four or five times a year just to catch up and see everyone. Lovely. Yeah, that's great. Um, and uh, where did you go to high school? Uh, Half Hollow Hills High School East yeah. uh, in Dix Hills. In Dix yeah, Hill. yeah, cool. it was a big big high school. It's five hundred people and. Um, but it, it was a good experience. I, I was, I enjoyed high school. Nice. Yeah. And, um, what, uh, what was your high school experience like? I guess, uh, were you, were you a part of the theater crowd or? I was very active in a lot of things. I was class president and I was in, did all the plays and I was in vocal jazz. A lot of the singing groups I used to sing and, uh, student government always. And I, I had a lot of after school activities. I was really kind of, uh, very active in a lot of that stuff. I was a bit of a book book nerd. I loved reading. I still love reading, but um, right now I mostly read scripts. But back then I read mostly books, <laughs> and um, I loved I loved reading. And I actually worked at the library um, mm-hmm. as one of my jobs. I always had a job from from the time I was about thirteen years old. Um, I was always doing something. And um, when I was in high school, I worked at the library, and it was a great opportunity for me just to kind of be around books, which I loved. And then I actually went on to major in English in college. So it's always been something I've been interested in is literature. Wow. Yeah. Literature. Yeah. So do you have like a kind of on the side, are you like writing or kind of? Um, I do. Yeah. I, I, I've always written um, in, in my personal life and I, I do have ideas that one day I might actually uh, turn some of those stories into something else. Um, it's kind of a bucket list kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, some of the the writers that I really admire didn't get started till a little bit later. And, uh, yeah, I've had a pretty, I've had a lot of interesting experiences in life. And sometimes you think, you know, well, I, I should put those to paper. <laughs> so. so who are the writers you admire? Um, Tennessee Williams is my favorite writer. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I love him. Uh, I, I think I, I love, uh, I love a lot of dramatists. I mean, I love Eugene O'Neill and Tennessee Williams and, um, uh, Langston Hughes and uh, poetry. I love John Keats and Lord Byron, a lot of the romantics um, from from back in the day. Back in and the then day. a lot of more modern uh, <laughs> modern authors as well. But um, mm-hmm. I, I read a lot of memoirs. I like a lot of biographies and, and memoirs. And I'm interested in personal stories. I think it's kind of one of the things that got me interested in acting. Um, 
I was always acting in high school and uh, the human psyche and figuring out why we are and what we are and why we do what we do was always very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it served me well in my career now. I, I never actually thought I would be doing this, but in doing this, I find that trying to tap into the, the human psyche and, and figuring out the whys and the whats and the wheres is it's an integral part of casting and acting. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. so we haven't actually established uh, for our listeners uh, what you do yet. But so you just mentioned it, you, you're a casting director. Yes. Um, you started as an actor, mm-hmm. uh, transitioned into casting. Um, so you said that you uh, moved to New York. I believe you went to Carnegie Mellon? Is that uh, no, University of Florida. I went to Carnegie Mellon first um, for a theater program and then went down to the University of Florida in Gainesville. And I was acting there at a regional theater called the Hippodrome Theater, mm-hmm. um, which is an amazing regional theater in Gainesville, Florida. But I was not, uh, acting was not my major. Um, English and secondary education was my major. So I'm certified to teach high school English, although mm-hmm. I never have. Um, but, <laughs> but you can if you need to. <laughs> but I can if I need to, exactly. But the teaching has served me well as well in my career. Yeah. Mm. But then after college, I, I went back to New York and I actually started working in banking. What? Um, which is kind of left field. Yeah. But something that, uh, an opportunity that presented itself to me. And I think my dad always kind of wanted me to be a banker. So I started doing that. And after about a year, I realized, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and uh, so I left and I, I went and I, I backpacked through Europe for six months by myself. Wow. I went to 20 countries and kind of just figured out, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then when I came back, I, um, I, moved, to, I moved to Manhattan after that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you went into banking without any banking experience or knowledge or correct was correct. It was a management <laughs> training program at a bank, gotcha. and you kind of you were supposed to go around to all the different departments, and they were going to train you, and and they did. It was a year long program, and they trained me in all the different departments. And then at the end of the year, they said, "Which department do you want to go into?" And I said, "None," and I left. <laughs> Which was <laughs> I, I feel bad about it now, but it just it kind of is what it is. <laughs> uh-huh. So. Yeah. Come on, man. No regrets. No, no regrets, no right? Regrets. <laughs> um, when you went backpacking <clears throat> through Europe, 20 countries, mm-hmm. which was your favorite? Well, my favorite, uh, it's it's tough. It's like Sophie's choice. Um, <laughs> uh, probably Italy. I love Italy. It's just, it's where my father's family is from. Mm-hmm. And I spent quite a bit of time there and I've been back many times since. And I, I just love uh, La Dolce Vita, as they call it, the sweet yeah. life. Did you make it to Ireland by any chance? I did. Ireland was my first stop. I flew into the county where my great grandmother was from. Um, so that my in mother, Ireland? my mother's side is Irish. Yes. Um, so uh, so I started in Ireland and then you know went to England and then moved over to the mainland mm-hmm. and, and continued yeah. on from there. Because I just got back from Ireland, so I love it so much. It was great. Yeah. Isn't it fantastic? Yeah. I actually got the opportunity to go back with my parents a couple of years ago, which was an amazing experience to to see my mom in Ireland specifically because mm-hmm. that's where her family's from, and I had never I had never really done a trip with them like that. Traveled with them, and mm-hmm. it was amazing. I, I the people, the Irish people, are some of the warmest, friendliest people, in my opinion. Uh, you know, on the earth, they're just lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It was really great. And uh, I was there for two and a half weeks, mostly in Dublin, and I, mm-hmm. I just left feeling like I didn't even have enough time there. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to go back and learn more. Yeah. It's yeah. A fascinating place. It's amazing. Um, well, so what other what other countries did you visit? You said Ireland, Italy. I mean... Ireland, Italy, pretty much everything except Scandinavia. Oh. And uh, at that end, the, the um, Baltics and the Balkans. So, you know, Ireland and England, and then I did, you know, Benelux and Switzerland, Spain, Portugal, Greece... Poland, Hungary, Croatia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine in those 
six months, you met a ton of people, mm-hmm. all walks of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, any characters that stand out that kind of have influenced you or anybody like? There was, yeah. There are some people that I've met on that trip that influenced the way that I live my life even to this day and some lessons that I've kind of taken with me that I've never forgotten. Um, I think, you know, being, I was 23 at the time and it's a very impressionable age and going there, especially trying to not not find myself, but not really knowing what I wanted to do and very being very open to experiences. It was the first time in my life that I, I met people from all around the world and realized that there are different ways to live your life and not everyone prescribes to the quote unquote American way or, mm-hmm. you know, what, what we think of as, you know, the, the right way to live life. And I could make my own choices and, and do whatever I wanted to do. And it gave me a lot of power to feel that I was in control of my life and that uh, I was the director of my own journey. Yeah. So would you say that's like kind of the number one thing you learned is just make your own choices and you're in control and. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think so. And I think also, you know, it made me feel like I was part of the world. I mean, I learned so much about art and literature and music. I mean, all of the great museums and obviously, you know, the great experiences that you that you take in when you're there. It's a, it's a humbling experience. I mean, I had a I had lived a pretty sheltered life, you know, growing up, even though I, you know, grew up on Long Island, moved uh, had been to the city a bunch and then went to school in Florida. Still, America was pretty much the confines of my life up until that point. And America is not really that old, you know, and <laughs> yeah. doesn't really have doesn't have the history that a lot of the rest of the world does. And so it was a it was an amazing uh, experience to realize there's a whole other world out there. Yeah. And it, it made me a lifelong traveler. Great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. So you come back and you mm-hmm. go to Manhattan and you start. Is that the beginning of your acting career? Or? No, I started. I want, wanted yeah. to work in magazines. I've always wanted to work. I had always wanted to work in magazines. So I got a job at Condé Nast at Bon Appetit magazine. And I was doing that. Um, I had really wanted to work for Vanity Fair, but I figured I'll start a Bon Appetit and then maybe move over to Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a year into that, I realized I'm not really doing what I want to do, which is to, to act. And so I left and I started acting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an amazing time in my life. It was about five years of I got a job waiting tables. Um, I lived in Hell's Kitchen in New York and I was constantly in a play. I was constantly in classes and plays and you know, going out for auditions for commercials and TV shows, but just always on stage. And really, it was one of the best periods of my whole life. Mm-hmm. Really, I felt very much like an artist and I felt very much like a part of community. The New York theater community was so, uh, it, it feels very tight knit and it's very supportive. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing, it was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you didn't necessarily have any formal training in the way of a theater degree. No, I I was taking classes. I started taking classes there and I had acted my whole life, but I had never had any professional training. Um, But I hooked up with an incredible acting teacher. Her name is Susan Batson. And she ran a school called Black Nexus with her son. And um, and I started studying with her and it just blew my life wide open. Mm -hmm. She really encouraged me to challenge myself and to do things that scared me. Mm -hmm. And uh She's an incredible, incredible person who is still teaching uh, to this day and is an, a wonderful, wonderful mentor and teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you uh, you did off-Broadway. You mm-hmm. you had a great career. You know, nowadays I feel like, you know, because the markets are so saturated, it's pretty tough to, to 
break in, but so yeah. you, you did off Broadway. And... Yeah. Yeah. I was working pretty consistently. I had an agent and I was, you know, going out a lot. And I think it was my dream at that point to be on Broadway, um, mm-hmm. but was acting in, in off Broadway shows um, and, and feeling like I was a part of something. And uh, it was right at the time when, when I left, it was at the time where celebrities had started to come onto Broadway. Right. I remember I was, there was a, the play The Graduate was going up and I was so excited to audition for The Graduate. And then, you know, I'd gotten an audition for it. I was really excited. And then they announced that Jason Biggs was going to be doing it. He had just obviously done American Pie. And so they, you know, they said, we're done. It's going to be Jason Biggs. And I kind of felt that um, I had started to see the celebrities come in and I thought, hmm, maybe if I go to L.A. and I start to work more in TV and film, then I can actually come back to Broadway was kind of a weird thought pattern I had, but no. it was this little circuitous thing where I thought, well, I can go. <laughs> You're I not can... alone in that thought pattern. Yeah, I was like, I can go get a little bit of a name for myself and then come back and then it'll be easier for me to be on Broadway. And so that was the impetus for me uh, leaving for L.A. I had just gone to Scotland and I had um, been on a show in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which went really well. And it was an amazing experience. And I came back and thought, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to actually go to L.A. and, and try to make something happen but it was always as a means to come back and eventually and do more theater. Yeah. Yeah. Cause theater was my, what was what I loved about acting and what I still love about acting. I love being on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so at what point then did you transition into casting? Um, well it was about, uh, let's see, I moved here in 2003. It was about six years after I moved here. Um, I was working out here, which was great. I, um, I got a job, you know, a day job and then was auditioning and had started to book some television and some film roles and was having a bit of, uh, I could feel forward momentum in my mm-hmm. career. I was pleased, but I wasn't loving it. Um, I missed the, I, creatively, I wasn't loving it. You know, to me, what I love about acting for me personally is when you would go on a stage and it was this two hour emotional journey that you would go on with an audience and it was the feeling the energy from them and, you know, building that emotional arc of the character and the work that I was booking out here in film and TV, you know, it was two lines here or one line here. And it was a lot of just waiting around on set all day for them to come and you and to do your couple lines. And I just wasn't feeling that creative uh, juice flowing that you mm-hmm. that you get from being on stage. And so I was having uh, a chat with a casting director who had called me in for a couple of things. And I was telling him how I was feeling. And he said, well, you should try casting. And it was like, uh, I thought about it and I said, hmm. And again, you know, one of the things I learned on that Europe trip that we talked about is really being open to experiences when they present themselves. And so I thought, okay, I'll try it. And I had never, ever, ever thought about doing it as a career, even when I was acting and going into casting offices. Obviously, I was seeing lots of casting directors. Casting was a very scary thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was a a good actor. I think I was a terrible auditioner. (laughs) Um, Casting offices were just really kind of scary places. But when he said that, I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. Um, Not thinking that it would ever become a career, but just thinking, oh, I'll try it and see if I like it. And I started it and I fell in love with it. It really was, uh, it was like a light bulb went off. And all of a sudden I was like, hmm, this is this is actually something that I could, I could do something with. Um, Mm -hmm. I love getting a script and it's like, it's like a puzzle Mm -hmm. and actors are pieces, you know, putting, putting that puzzle together is very interesting. And I love getting to work with actors. You know, I think uh, unfortunately an unfortunate rap of some casting directors, um, which I think is 
you know, in some cases valid is people say, oh, they're bitter ex-actors or they don't like actors. And I love actors. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite part of my job is getting to work with actors. I still consider myself inside an actor. Mm -hmm. And so getting to to work with actors and 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 try to help people book roles, it's very uh, gratifying. It's very fulfilling. Karmically, it kind of felt good. Yeah. I kind of felt like I went from someone that was always asking for things to someone that was giving people things a little bit. And right. that felt that switch felt really uh, felt good inside. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not versed on the rules of like the casting guild or um, are you allowed to cast yourself in something or um, like, I think I would. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, until I, I'm a just gave up my SAG card. So I'm on that, oh. <laughs> I'm that status where I'm not, you know, SAG anymore, uh-huh. but I was SAG. But um, I've had a couple directors say to me, I'd like to put you in this. And I've said, uh, you know, I'm OK. I like being on the other side of the camera. Okay. Um, I never actually liked being in front of the camera. That was one of the problems I had. Yeah. If, if you're going to be an actor in film and TV, you should probably like you know being <laughs> on camera. But I I I never really felt comfortable um, mm-hmm. with that. So I prefer being kind of on the on the other side. Yeah. Um. What about theater? Could you be uh, get into casting for theater and kind of find a play and yeah, cast. I've, I have yeah. cast theater out here. Um. I. Uh, not as much as I'd like, but um, but I have, and I that that is something I could see myself doing again down the road, maybe as an old man in, in community theater back <laughs> in whatever town I live in. But yeah. I could see myself on stage again. To me, that's the highest high that I've ever had in my life. It's just that rush of adrenaline when you're there and waiting for the the curtain to go up and you can hear the buzz of the audience. It's it's the to me the best feeling in the world. So mm-hmm. that is something where I could see myself doing that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. So just to go back a little bit into the kind of the how the kind of technical how so um this casting director told you you should get into casting um did you which office did you go was it barden schnee right away? yeah yeah it was carrie yeah. barden um who's an amazing casting director and who was the casting director that i had been having the conversation with and he was mm-hmm. was lovely enough and welcoming enough to say come come work with us and check mm-hmm. it out and um and they had just opened up a los angeles office so it was a nice opportunity to go in on the ground floor and really see how everything works and mm-hmm. and so uh so i started there Okay. And around what year was this? I think it was 2000 and 2009, 2008, okay. either 2008, 2009, around then. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you were at Barton Schneef, you said six years? Uh, five, five years. Five years? Five years. And um, in those five years, so that takes you to 2014, I mean, the... I uh, 2013 like... is when I left, so it must have been, yeah, yeah. 2013. But so the industry has really changed it so much over the last, you know, 10, five or 10 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, can you talk to what you saw as a casting director being behind the table just in terms of, because as an actor now looking at it, it's just like, there's more, it feels like there's more people than ever trying to do it. Yes. And it's also, there's more content than ever out there. So it's feeling a little bit of a, I guess, a mess like well it's interesting i mean i can speak to it also from when i was acting out here before i got into casting because that's where i really see the changes i mean i see them from when i had just gotten into casting as well but you know when i started acting there was a lot less content i mean there were no netflix web series there was no netflix amazon you know um there weren't even as many television networks Mm -hmm. as there were you know not that i'm ancient but you know Mm -hmm. there just wasn't that as many opportunities in that sense. Um, but I also agree with you that it feels like the talent pool has gotten larger, um, which is which is an interesting development. Um, everything going digital, I think, has been a huge change. And the advent of tape, of being able to self-tape and, and kind of get yourself in in that way um, was a big change. 
Um, even things as simple as headshots going from black and white to color and, you know, things like that that you don't think about, but that really were big changes for actors to have to deal with as they're going through their, you know, their materials and such. Um, but I think for me, the biggest advent is uh, or the biggest change is the advent of tape. Um, so much is happening now off tape. I've actually cast entire movies off tape, which is not ideal, but sometimes, you know, the director is not here and you mm -hmm. have to, you have to cast things. So you're really, it's putting you in a uh, big responsibility of, of making sure that you understand what the director and the producers are looking for, because you are acting really as the, the middleman. I mean, really acting, dealing with people and then sending them the tapes that you like and, mm -hmm. and directing them in the room. Um, but so that's been a that's been a really big change. And I also think one of the biggest changes I've seen in the last couple of years is the rise in social media um, with actors where, you know, producers and studios for the first time I'm finding are kind of concerned with what someone's social media imprint is and also the globalization of the film market um, and really that you're producing content not always meant for just America. It's really meant for the world. And I think producers and directors are becoming, at least in my experience, are becoming more uh, aware and feel a responsibility to make the cast feel like it looks like representative of the world, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of ethnicity and age and gender and race and, and, and such. Would you say that there's a common thread between all the actors that you see that you go that that works that doesn't you know um i tend to like actors who are natural um and who have some kind of training or knowledge of acting um i know that a lot of people come to la and you know maybe someone told them they were cute in class or you know they have you know their parents work in the business or whatever and so they get into acting but it just makes a difference when you have a respect and an understanding of the craft of acting and also the history of the industry and you know, uh, having having seen film, you know, classic films and understanding, you know, under being able to reference, you know, performances and, and because we can learn from all of those. And I mean, we, we do learn from all of them as actors. I learn about them as a casting director, you know, watching an amazing Betty Davis performance or, you know, watching an amazing film like Casablanca believe it or not, like it, you, you take that inside of you and it affects the way that I actually do my job, you know? So I think actors that really, that understand the importance of that are the ones that I just tend to gravitate towards. And mm -hmm. so, which is, which is an interesting thing, you know, we're talking about the rise of social media and that is something that's interesting. You know, I, I don't, I, I, I would advise uh, social media performers that want to get into acting to actually take an acting class <laughs> <laughs> personally. Yeah. Are you, and it sounds like there's a bit of pressure that you do have to kind of really consider these social media performers, as you as you call them. Yeah, you know, people get cast. Uh, casting is so collaborative by nature. I mean, filmmaking by nature is collaborative. So it's I don't I never think, you know, it's never just one person being like you. You're the person just mm -hmm. as, you know, even in the costume department, it's not the wardrobe person being like this. It's yeah. like, it's, you know, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen in many different areas. But for me, I just always try to focus on who I believe is the best person to tell that character's story for whatever the given project is. There's a lot of other factors that come into play um, from all different angles. But if I have to be the actor's advocate and focus on them, because if I'm not focused on who I believe is the best and pushing that person, then who is? Yeah. So they don't always get the role um, for a variety of reasons, but but that is always the person that I'll, that I'll push for. Yeah. So back to um, your kind of path. So you worked at Barton Schnee and mm -hmm. then you decide to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. 
and you just start your own Rich Delia casting? Yeah. 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 It was um, October of 2013. And um, I had had an amazing time um, at my job and I loved it. But I just kind of, you know, as many people do, you feel like you want to branch out and you want to try it on your own Mm -hmm. and, and have a little more control. And so I did. And it was scary, but I was really, really, really lucky. And I've been extremely blessed that I've had a lot of people um, kind of cheering me on and on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And, um, and fortunately it's, it's been a, it's been an amazing run so far. Yeah. Yeah. So around about that time that you broke out, I mean, Dallas Buyers Club, Mm -hmm. was that one of your first projects kind of on your own? Uh, no, that I, I did with Barton Schnee. I was a casting director gotcha. on it, but I, we did it at the, at the company. Um, but I had two projects that had just come out, um, Dallas Buyers Club and Short Term 12 that mm-hmm. I had been a casting director on. And both of them had done really well. And they gave me a lot of confidence in my abilities as a casting director, um, especially Short Term 12, because I was extremely involved in finding all of the kids for that. And mm-hmm. And I, I just love the performances in it. And a lot of those kids were very raw. They hadn't acted much before. Yeah. Um, the director, Destin Daniel Creighton, is an amazing, amazing director. And he really created a safe environment for them to come play. And being part of that and being able to see something, see a little something in this kid that maybe hadn't had a ton of experience, but you could see a spark in them that you thought, this is this is the right person for this. And then watching it come to fruition, it gave me a lot of, um, gave me a lot of confidence. And I said, I, I want more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you did that with Bart and Shani and that kind of mm-hmm. gave you the confidence to branch out? Kind of, yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, it's everything, you know, it's, a, it's just part of the journey. But those two, those two films in particular, I think, made me kind of start to start to think about um, the next step. Yeah. So how, how does it work? How does a casting office kind of get a film like that? Like, um, how do you get your work, I guess, so to speak? It comes all in different ways. I mean, it comes from different relationships you have with producers or directors mm-hmm. where they'll bring you your project. Um, sometimes it comes from people having seen something that you've done that they really, you know, they responded to and they say, I want, you know, I want to meet the casting director from that and mm-hmm. work with them. Um, so it, it, it kind of comes all different ways. Um, and it's it, in a way, I, I, I love my job because I view it sometimes as, you're playing the lotto. You know, there are some days where you're like, Tuesday's slow and nothing's going on. And then Wednesday you get a call with an amazing film that you're so excited about. And then the next thing you know, you're working on this film. And Mm -hmm. so I like the element of surprise and the kind of how you're never quite sure what your next project is going to be. It's nice. Most projects, you know, projects, especially when you're working independent film, they can last for a very long time. Um, You know, a couple of years getting it off the ground, but most projects last eight to 10 weeks or something like that. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's cyclical and you're kind of constantly challenging yourself and working on different projects, which for me is very interesting. And I'd imagine because casting is obviously the film doesn't get shot before it gets cast. So you cast it and then it shoots Mm -hmm. and then post-production and then you start to see Yep, how it all comes together. And in the case of Dallas Buyers Club, I mean, an Oscar run is involved in that. Yeah. Um, which, so, which I think we were all surprised with. And yeah. Everyone involved in the production. I mean, thrilled. Mm-hmm, obviously. But I mean, all, everyone, um, the producer of that film is a dear friend of mine, and she's amazing. Her name's Robbie Brenner. She had worked on the film for about 20 years, trying to get it off the ground and really, really pushing the rock up the hill. And uh, at the time that it all kind of gelled and came together, Everyone involved in it from, you know, Jean-Marc Vallée and Matthew McConaughey and Robbie and Jared and everyone was very passionate about the story. And that's why they wanted to tell the story. But I and it was more about getting the story out there uh, and, 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 and telling that and getting that to a wider audience. I don't think anyone thought it was going to 
we all hoped it would be impactful, but you know, I don't think anyone was thinking best picture, yeah. and, you know, multiple <laughs> Oscar wins. And it was, it was a very exciting time. So you, as a casting director on this film and two of the actors get Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I know you, I guess taking credit or, you know, being responsible, I guess that's a better way to put it. Being responsible for that. Um, I mean, can you talk to your responsibility as the casting director of this film that you have two Oscar winning actors in, um, as a result of it, but also the, um, the idea of actors being attached to a script. Mm-hmm. So can you just talk to the casting process of getting a project that has someone already attached and, you know, kind of piecing them? Well, piecing Matthew them. was attached when we got the script. Um, mm-hmm. He was already attached. It had gone through many iterations. And at one point it was supposed to be Brad Pitt and it was supposed to be a bunch of different people. But when, when it finally came together and um, Robbie had, all, the producer had already attached Matthew. So that we were really excited about because he had been on quite a run with Mud and, you know, some other really good work that he had done. Mm-hmm. Um, the character of Rayon, Jared Leto's character, was originally Hispanic. And we had been coming up with ideas, Hispanic ideas. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually um, there was a group of us that were having a conversation. And uh, we said, what about Jared Leto? And who's obviously not Hispanic. And he hadn't acted in about six years. Yeah, he was doing the 30 Seconds to Mars. Yeah, he was doing yeah. 30 Seconds to Mars. But I, I was just always a fan of, uh, to me, he's a fearless actor. You know, even what he does in, you know, what he did in Panic Room and there's uh, Requiem for a Dream. And if you you look at the films that he's done, he's done work where it's just, they're fearless performances. And I thought that's what we needed for Rayon. And and we were very fortunate enough. um, We set him up with a Skype with Jean-Marc. And, you know, Jean-Marc called us after the Skype and said, I found Rayon, you know, that this is Rayon. And we were really thrilled, but it was a little bit of a leap of faith. But um, because, again, it was different than the character on the page. But sometimes I try to I try to not I try to have as open a mind as possible. One of the first roles I ever got to films I ever got to work on in casting was the film Conan, the remake of Conan the Barbarian. Mm -hmm. And the character on the page was a man, um, one of the villain's son. And. Rose McGowan at the time was a friend of the office and she said, I, I want, I want to audition for that. And we were like, yeah, you should audition for this. Come in. Mm-hmm. She was fantastic. And they wound up making the role a woman. Mm-hmm. And it was a really eye opening thing for me because I thought I don't ever have to take what's given to me on the page as Bible. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. for, you know, if you're working on a film, there are certain constructs of the story where you have to color within the lines for whatever yeah. role. But if not, I try to I try to keep as open a mind as possible um, when I'm reading something and say, this could be anything. And so that was one of those cases with, with Jared where it was like, I know he's not this, but what if we went in this direction? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You also worked on uh, The Help as well as an associate, right? Uh, yeah. Assistant. It was one of my first jobs in casting. Yeah. Yeah. It was an incredible, incredible film to work yeah. on. Yeah. You, you just, you're just getting all these Oscar winning, <laughs> Oscar winning films like uh, around you. It's great. I guess is casting now as, as crazy for you as it seems for us as actors, like we talked about how their pool of actors has gotten bigger. Um, I mean, the, it's, it's, I'd imagine casting directors are overwhelmed with like on a roll you get submissions and it's just do you even get submissions i feel like you're at a point where you can kind of more reach out you you can do the reaching out you know you you get a script and you get an idea and you kind of know have your idea of who you want mm-hmm. as 
Yeah, yeah you can. Um, you, and and it, it kind of both, I think both things happen. Um, it's, and it's astonishing to me when you release a role, how many submissions you get, you know, sometimes within an hour, you'll have over a thousand submissions. And it's yeah. just how do you look through without, you know, it's just it is, it can be overwhelming. Um, sometimes you'll read a script, and you'll you'll have a pretty good idea of the kind of actor you want, or you know, you have obviously have a knowledge of the talent pool out there. So you'll say, you know, you come up with a list of maybe 20 people that you're like, these are people I'm seeing and interested, and you'll check their availabilities and see who's around if they're interested. Um, but sometimes you have to uncover as many stones as possible. Um, you never know where that person's going to come from. One of the first films, actually, the first film I did on my own, um, my own company was a film called Max Steel. And the the title character, Max Steele, we had seen, you know, 500 kids in, in L.A. and New York, and we just weren't finding the kid. And um, I started watching all the self-tapes that had come in, and this actor had put himself on tape in Georgia, and he was fantastic. And I sent it to the director, and he watched it, and he loved it, and then we get him on, set him on a Skype, and, and we wound up casting him in the role. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it just depends on the role. Sometimes you have to look further. Sometimes yeah. you have an idea of who they are. But but I try as much as possible, like I said, to to uncover as many stones as possible, because if not, you might be missing that person that's perfect for the role just because you didn't necessarily look for them. Mm. So you do you get that feeling like, you know, have I checked every, yeah. every possible option? Yeah. 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 Again, you know, going back to earlier um, in my career, there was a film I worked on called Girl in Progress. And one of the lead roles, it was Eva Mendes's 15 year old daughter. And again, I had looked everywhere and could not find this girl. And put out an, a notice on Actors Access saying, if you tape yourself, I will watch this with the sides. And this girl put herself on tape in her bedroom, um, on her bed, surrounded by her stuffed animals in Texas, <laughs> and watched the tape and was like, that's the girl. And we heard in Sierra Ramirez, and we wound up casting her. And um, it, 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 it gives me a sense of pride when, when that happens, because it's like, it's a you know, you wouldn't have found her if you weren't looking that hard. Right. Yeah. Um, it's clear that you're overwhelmingly working in feature films mm-hmm. um is is that just by by coincidence or it, like uh, tv versus film i mean do you have any interest in casting for television or it, <laughs> i it... do i've cast in television before but i do work primarily in features yeah. um there's unbelievable incredible work happening obviously in television now so much amazing writing and so many amazing directors and actors um so you know i'm sure i will cast in television again I, I I like casting in features because you sometimes have a little bit more time to cast them. Um, television can be pretty quick, mm-hmm. where you know it's an episode a week, or you know the pace can be quicker. Yeah. Um, in features, because because they're stretched out over uh, a period of weeks or months, you have a little more time. I find to look for the characters. That's just my my personal experience. What would would you have any? I guess. What would you say to actors that are, you know, trying to break through and we're feeling like it's just there's just too much, you know, there's so many people kind of in the way, so to speak. Like, yeah, what, what how how can you know, it's all about standing out. We get mm-hmm. told you need to stand out. So what what would you be your kind of? Advice? Well, I think the thing that's the most hopeful thing for actors that wasn't really available when I was acting that I see now that I'm like, that's actually really cool is the ability to create your own content and to get it out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as you're talking about in a way of standing out, I have producers all the time saying to me, you know, who's that girl from that viral video? Who's this guy from this, you know, web series or, you know, whatever, whatever the medium is, there's just with, with, with the rise of the internet. I mean, there's actually a platform now to get yourself seen and to get your work out there. So I think it can be disheartening for actors because 
you know, you're always feeling, I think, as an actor, that push pull of am I being lazy? I'm not working. It's a very hard emotional, psychological thing where you're the product and you're not working as much and you can get down on yourself. But the flip side of that is, you know, get together, get with a group of friends, get in a class, get writing, get shooting, do something because there is that platform in a way that there wasn't. So you do have the ability to cut through the agents, the managers, the casting people, and create something that can actually get yourself noticed in a way that I don't think was available to actors 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you did, you just mentioned agents and managers. Um, are you finding more and more, because like, like the girl who you got the tape from in Texas, that the agents and managers are kind of middle, middle men and women that are kind of becoming, uh, I guess, obsolete, if you will. I don't think so. You know, I, I, I don't think so at all, actually. I really respect agents and managers. And I think when I was an actor, I think they get a really bad rap. Um, when I was an actor, I always felt my agent's not doing enough. My manager's not doing enough. Now that I'm in casting, I'm realizing we only know, like, as actors, a tenth of what they're doing. You know, a hundred for, for every call you get, you know, you don't get the 15 pitches and pushes that they did that said they said no for, you know. So I think agents and managers are are important and in any actor's career. And I think that they don't actually get enough credit. Um, I think they work really, really hard, especially managers who really take the time to groom an actor and to get to know an actor and to actively grow their career over the years. Mm -hmm. I really respect actors that form a relationship with an agent or a manager and they, they stay with them for a long time and they kind of grow together. And it doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's, it's nice to see um, that kind of uh, loyalty on both sides. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, I would I would uh, be chastised if I, if we didn't plug to the bone oh, yes. at some point <laughs> if we were allowed to because uh, Julie and Bonnie, former guests of the podcast, produced mm-hmm. uh, to the bone. Yes, amazing, uh, amazing producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, when when did you cast that? That was it was this year. It was um, February, February, February of this year. Um, Julie and Bonnie, along with Karina Miller. Um, who's an amazing producer as well. The three of them um, brought me this project and I met with the director with Marty Noxon, who I adore and love. And it was a very personal story for Marty. It's a, it's a comedy, as she describes it, a comedy about anorexia, <laughs> um, which I never really understood when we were casting it, the comedy aspect, but I just saw a screening of it and it's actually very funny. Yeah. Um, but it was a beautiful story. Um, the the scripts that really excite me as a casting director are very character-driven stories. Um, I, and those are the movies that excite me as a viewer um, or, or the television shows where you just really get wrapped up in the characters and watching them evolve. And, you know, I, I also, I love a good explosion movie or a good superhero movie, but I really, <laughs> I, I like character-driven stories. And this one, the characters just jumped off the page. I mean, the supporting characters, the leads, everyone, it was like, it was a casting director's dream because, they all had something to chew on for the actors, even the characters that had, you know, 10 lines. It was like, that's a damn good scene, you know, even though it's a small scene. And that's a testament to Marty um, as a writer. But uh, getting this script was very exciting. Uh, it was also a, a subject, anorexia, that I don't think has been dealt with a huge amount in, in, in mm-hmm. entertainment. And it was it was very rewarding to mm-hmm. work on it. 
It's funny that you said it's a comedy because I was in The Sweet Life, which is a comedy about two people who want to kill themselves. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, they say all comedy comes from darkness. Yeah. And, um, and there is uh, there are funny moments, I, I guess, in every situation in life. But this one, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw the screening. I was actually laughing out loud and then I was crying. So that to me is a good movie when it, when it, when it moves you to tears and to laughter. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice piece of art. Yeah add it to the great collection of films that julie and bonnie are making mm -hmm. and i will say that i would have been chastised rightfully so i feel like they would be like what you make it seem like we always just yell at you no um great and uh you also have um lights out is mm -hmm. currently in theaters that mm -hmm. you cast as well yeah so congratulations on that thank you, know, you. nice theatrical release for that thank you very much um, is there anything else that um we should watch out for that yeah you kind um of... don't breathe is an amazing movie that's coming out in two weeks um fetty alvarez who did the evil dead remake um uh, directed it and it stars jane levy and dylan minette and stephen lang and daniel zavato it is terrifying uh it's a thriller um it reminds me of bit um like a little bit of like a silence of the lambs kind of a, it's like a psychological thriller and i just i saw it the other night and it's it's a really good movie fetty is an amazing director he he reminds me in some of his shot selections and pacing of hitchcock i think he's really uh he's an amazing young director yeah so i'm excited for that one and i've got a bunch of stuff coming out later in the year or next year that i'm really excited about and i've i've just worked on some amazing projects this year that have been some of the most exciting experiences um, in my career. I, I just wrapped um, the feature film version of Stephen King's It, um, oh, wow. which Andy Muschietti is directing, and we got such a great cast for it, and I'm so excited. They're shooting it right now, and it's just a cast of uh, young kids, which is always really exciting mm -hmm. when you're working with younger actors. So I'm, I'm very excited for that one. Do you go and hop onto set sometimes just to see your little, your work and be like, <laughs> I do, I do. I, I didn't get a chance to go to that one. It's shooting up in Toronto and I didn't get, I haven't made it up there, but I do, I do go to set quite often and it's always a weird experience. Mm -hmm. um, casting is an interesting thing because you're one of the first uh, elements involved in the production, you know, with the producer and the director and the writer, obviously. But um, you kind of cast the film and you feel like, you you know, you send it off and then it goes to shoot and then it's it's off into the ethers at that yeah. point, you know. And it comes back to you like, what, two or three years later, right. if you're lucky. Right, right, right. So <laughs> uh, so it's it can be cool doing a set visit and and kind of seeing it, seeing it come to fruition is exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd imagine it's, he wouldn't even have time for it, but to have, I don't want to say regrets, but like, you know, seeing something that maybe doesn't work because... I don't know. It's just, yeah, it is what it is. Like you cast in, you have to like kind of let it go much like an actor's performance. You have to do it and just, yeah, you have to let, let, it, go. let it go. I mean, it's, it's the nature, like what we mentioned before, filmmaking is so collaborative. You know, you can have all of the best elements. You can have an amazing cast and director and producers and script. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And conversely, you can have a film that you're reading it and you're like, I don't think this is going to be very good. And then it turns out to be amazing. Yeah. So you kind of just, cast who you feel are you you know the best people and you hope that their performances are good and it all comes comes together um but there are so many times that i've watched a movie that's either like a mediocre movie or a movie that's okay but there's an amazing performance in it and so i still love the movie so i always just hope when i watch the movie that the performances are good mm -hmm. you know of course you're paying attention to the other elements but selfishly because i'm 
working in casting, you're you're kind of like, okay, I just hope the performances are good. I think your biggest fear is that you read the review and they're like, these actors were terrible or who cast this? It totally miscast. And then you're like, no. So fortunately, uh, I haven't had that happen yet. Yeah. Knock on wood. But uh, but yeah, that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that you like actors who are natural. Would you say there's a style to casting? Like you... I think so. You know, sometimes it's interesting, you know, just like with directors where you can kind of look at a director's filmography and kind of get a sense of who they are as an artist or the kinds of movies that they like with casting directors, too. um, If you if you look at the actors that they cast, you can get a sense sometimes of what their aesthetic is. I had an agent say to me the other day, we were just chatting about something and he was pitching me an actor that he had just signed. And he said, oh, you're going to really like this actor because they look like a real person. And I thought that was cool because he's, he was saying, you know, you, you're not always casting people that are like, quote unquote, look like actors. They're yeah, yeah. more reflective of the real world, mm-hmm. you know, in a film like, say, Short Term 12 or something where yeah. it's like you get slice of life people. And I do find that I, I like that. I gravitate towards that. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think that I, um, I, I guess that would be my aesthetic as kind of um, natural, natural kind of non-actory actors if that makes sense <laughs> i don't know if, i don't know if that makes any sense but i think that's so. what just came out i think so yeah cool. well uh <laughs> i guess uh now's about a good time to kind of wrap it up i mean uh if unless there's anything else to uh for us to watch out for that you've worked on um i mean no i think just check out don't breathe which is coming out in a couple of weeks it's awesome you're really uh i think audiences are really gonna like it there's an amazing movie i did that premiered at south by southwest earlier this year that won the audience award for best feature called transpecos um, by a fantastic new director it's his first it's his feature debut his name's greg quidar um that will be coming out later this year it's i'm really really proud of that one it uh it, it, it's exciting to to watch a new director kind of blossom mm-hmm. and then there's a comedy that i will just say because i just saw a screening of it so it's on my mind that you have to check out next year called fist fight with um, ice cube and charlie day it's hysterical <laughs> um they play teachers at a, a high school that want to uh ice cube decides he wants to kill, kick charlie day's ass <laughs> um and uh <laughs> it's very 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 funny and it was fun to get to work on a big high school comedy and get to cast the kids and, the, and all the teachers and uh, yeah, those are some of the ones that I think are upcoming that I'm really excited about. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. And also keep an eye out for To the Bone. To the Bone. To the Bone. Uh, Hopefully we'll come out next year with an amazing performance by Lily Collins and a fantastic cast. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, Rich, thank you so much for Thanks your time. Thanks so much. I it's appreciate great it. chatting with you. Great chatting with you as well, Andrew. Um, thank you. Yeah, without further ado, uh, thanks so much. And uh, time for the sign off. Sign off. Sidekickback Radio. Cha cha. <laughs> nice